Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. The air war in the Pacific Theater during World War II is often overlooked and overshadowed by the battles which took place in the skies above Europe. The U.S. Army Air Forces in Europe had the luxury of better planes, better support, and more personnel than their counterparts in the Pacific Theater. The task of the Army Air Force in the Pacific was to do the most with what they had, which at times was very little. The Far East Air Force operated out of more than 50 different islands, flew over an area larger than the United States, and carried the war from Australia to Japan itself, all while turning men and aircraft around for the next mission as quickly as possible. Much of the success in the skies in the Pacific was due to the pairing of General Douglas MacArthur and his Air Chief, General George Kenney, and Kenney's ability to recognize talent and to get the most out of the officers and men under his command. When Orville Wright took to the air in a powered airplane for just a few seconds at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, December 17, 1903, it marked a milestone in the history of the world. For centuries, man had sought to take flight, and many inventors had lost their lives in the attempt. Late in the 18th century, man first successfully ascended into the sky in balloons filled with heated air. Napoleon experimented with balloons in his army in the 1790s, but it was not until the American Civil War that balloons were successfully used by the military to observe enemy troop positions. Five years after the Wright brothers' successful flight, the U.S. Army purchased its first airplane. By the time of World War I, airplanes were being used by many of the world's major powers, but they had also been adapted as offensive weapons carrying machine guns and capable of dropping bombs. But during these pioneering days of manned flight, many, including the Wright brothers themselves, did not appreciate the military value of the airplane. In 1917, Orville Wright remarked, When my brother and I built the first man-carrying flying machine, we thought that we were introducing into the world an invention which would make further wars practically impossible. It was a sentiment echoed by Scientific American magazine. To affirm that the airplane is going to revolutionize warfare of the future is to be guilty of the wildest exaggeration. These beliefs would quickly prove wrong. With America expanding into the Pacific in the wake of the Spanish-American War, U.S. military bases were established to guard American interests, including in the Philippines and the Hawaiian Islands. In 1916, the first U.S. military aviation presence overseas was established in the Philippines with the arrival of the first company, 2nd Aero Squadron. This marked the first time a complete aviation unit was based outside of the continental United States. About the same time, Langley Air Force Base, named for Samuel P. Langley, the main rival to the Wright brothers in the race for heavier-than-air flight, was established in 1916 in Hampton, Virginia. It was the first military base in the United States solely for air units. But this early aviation was not without its mishaps, including some high-profile incidents. Four years after their initial successful flight at Kitty Hawk, the U.S. Army agreed to purchase its first airplane from the Wright brothers. 
The aircraft underwent testing at Fort Myer outside Washington, D.C. Lieutenant Thomas E. Selfridge and Orville Wright were at the controls on September 17, 1908, when the plane crashed, killing Selfridge and breaking Orville's hip. There was also a brief flirtation with dirigibles. The dirigible Roma met a fiery demise in February 1922, similar to that of the better-known Hindenburg 15 years later. The Roma, the largest airship of its type at the time, experienced mechanical failure while airborne over what is now Naval Station Norfolk and became entangled in high-voltage wires while falling, which caused its hydrogen gas contents to ignite, killing 34 of the 45 men aboard. Given some of these early disasters, in the early part of the 20th century, naval power was still thought by many to be the factor that would continue to decide the outcome of the next wars. Thus, the great powers in Europe and America continued to construct large navies, focusing mainly on enormous battleships. But some pioneers had a different vision. Based on the successful use of airplanes in combat during World War I, some military minds, many of them aviators like Brigadier General Billy Mitchell, now considered the father of the United States Air Force, viewed the airplane and not the battleship as the future of warfare. In this same vein, Henry Hap Arnold, the only five-star general in the United States Air Force history, later declared, Offense is the essence of air power. Despite these arguments, as well as successful tests that proved what could be achieved by well-trained military aviators, the air arm of the U.S. military remained underused prior to World War II by the United States, while other countries, including Germany and Japan, began to explore the options of military aviation to the fullest. Eventually, the U.S. military did begin to build up its air assets, but economic difficulties due to the Great Depression prevented a comprehensive buildup. As a result, by 1940, Army and Navy aviation was woefully behind other countries both in quantity and quality. As newer aircraft were assigned to air units, many of the older, and in some cases outright antiquated aircraft, such as B-4 bombers, biplanes based largely on World War I patterns, were sent to remote U.S. installations, including the Philippines. If and when war came, these aircraft would be the first line of defense, but would be no match for more modern aircraft. December 7, 1941 would change everything. Only hours after attacking U.S. Army and Navy installations at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, Japanese planes attacked U.S. and Philippine military bases in the Philippines under the command of General MacArthur. More than a 100 aircraft of the newly designated Far East Air Force under the command of Major General Lewis H. Brereton were destroyed, most of them on the ground at Clark, Nichols, and Eba Fields. Only seven Japanese aircraft were lost. Flying a P-40 Warhawk, Lieutenant Randall Keeter was credited as the first American pilot to shoot down a Japanese plane. With the destruction of at least 18 B-17 heavy bombers, 56 outdated P-35 and P-40 fighters, and 26 other aircraft, the Japanese achieved almost uncontested air superiority in less than an hour, opening the way for their ground and naval forces to invade the Philippines. It was a watershed moment in terms of the role of air power for the United States military. Two days later, the surviving bombers of MacArthur's Far East Air Force launched the first American offensive of the war against the Japanese, when five B-17s of the 93rd Bombardment Squadron attacked several enemy ships landing on the north coast of Luzon. 
They were joined by a handful of fighters, but achieved only limited success in the skies. In an old P-26 pea shooter fighter, Captain Jesus Villamor shot down a Japanese bomber in the opening days of the war, the only kill credited to the P-26. He received the Distinguished Service Cross twice for his actions in December 1941. Lieutenant Boyd Buzz Wagner became America's first ace of World War II. Flying a P-40 Warhawk, he shot down his fifth Japanese plane on December 16, 1941. However, this handful of American planes constituted more of a nuisance for the Japanese than a legitimate threat to their invasion plans. For the rest of the month, the Far East Air Force airmen attacked the Japanese with their few remaining planes, but ultimately inflicted little damage. The surviving planes were then flown first to Del Monte Field in the southern Philippines, and then to Australia where they were reinforced by other units from Hawaii and the mainland United States. They were then redesignated as the 5th Air Force. The only surviving aircraft from the pre-war Far East Air Force was the B-17 named Swoos. This plane is currently being restored at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. The Swoos participated in some of the small aerial attacks against the Japanese and was refitted to serve as the personal command plane for Lieutenant General George Brett, the new commander of all air units in the theater. Initially 5th Air Force in Australia and the unattached units based on the islands to the northeast of Australia were tasked with waging a defensive battle. The Japanese were on the verge of landing on the northern coast of Australia itself, which had to be prevented before a counteroffensive could be launched. During that time, Mariba, on the northern coast of Australia, became home to about 10,000 American and Australian airmen, as well as a base of operation for bombers against New Guinea. By mid-1942, George Brett fell out of favor with General MacArthur, and George C. Kenney was selected by MacArthur as his new air chief. When he arrived in September 1942, Kenney used some choice words to declare the 5th Air Force to be an absolute mess. The Canadian-born Kenny was a veteran flyer, having flown some 75 combat missions during World War I and credited with shooting down at least two German planes, one of which was thought to have been piloted by Hermann Goering, leader of the Luftwaffe during World War II. During the interwar years, Kenny developed several innovations in military aviation, including the installation of machine guns in the wings of fighters and also low-altitude parachute bombs, which were used heavily in the Pacific. After assuming command, Kenny set off on a tour of the bases and units of 5th Air Force, using Brett's B-17 Swoos as his transport. Under Kenny's leadership, the 5th was reorganized and began to make its presence felt. Kenny brought in many of his own people, including Kenneth Walker as head of 5th Bomber Command and Ennis Whitehead to lead the advance echelon of 5th Air Force. Kenny later explained his plan. I wanted to carry out one primary mission, which was to take out the Japanese air strength until we owned the air over New Guinea. There was no use talking about playing across the street until we got the Japanese off our front lawn. We were not going to get anywhere until we won the air battle. In July 1942, Brigadier General Kenneth N. Walker, considered one of the leading advocates of air power before World War II, was assigned to 5th Air Force, eventually rising to the command of 5th Bomber Command. He planned many of the Allied attacks on Rabaul, New Guinea, and personally accompanied many of the bombing raids. Walker's B-17, San Antonio Rose, was lost in an attack on January 5, 1943, and he was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor.
As the war progressed in New Guinea, Kenny found it difficult to effectively run air operations against New Guinea from his headquarters in Brisbane, hundreds of miles from the front. To address this problem, Kenny tapped Major General Ennis Whitehead to serve as commander of 5th Air Force units at the front. In January 1943, the various air units in the South Pacific Theater east of Australia, which previously had not been under a unified air command, were organized into 13th Air Force under Major General Nathan G. Twining. Henderson Field, which had been the focus of much of the fighting on Guadalcanal in 1942 and early 1943, became the base for 13th Air Force, known as the Jungle Air Force for its operations in the South Pacific. At the time, 5th Air Force and 13th Air Force remained separate organizations. Rabaul, a port on the northern coast of Papua New Guinea, was a major Japanese supply center, with more than 100,000 troops based there. Rather than risk a direct assault on the port, MacArthur chose instead to bypass it while subjecting it to almost continuous air attack by Kenny's air forces and thereby rendering them useless to the Japanese war effort. Following victories over the Japanese at the Coral Sea, Midway, Guadalcanal, and the Bismarck Sea, the Japanese advance towards Australia had been halted and their naval power drastically reduced. Allied air attacks against Japanese positions in New Guinea were increased as the battle for air supremacy in the Southwest Pacific heightened. The turning point came in mid-August 1943, when 175 Japanese planes were destroyed, most of them on the ground at Weewak, New Guinea. General MacArthur was very complimentary of Kenny and the 5th Air Force, and stated, Kenny struck like a cobra. The one-sided victory was not without losses, however. Major Ralph Chelly was piloting the lead B-25 in an attack on Weewok August 18, 1943, and his plane was severely damaged by enemy fire. He completed his bomb run, but had to ditch his aircraft. Chelly was captured and died in captivity. He was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. Two weeks after the destruction of Japanese air units around Weewok, MacArthur and Kenny set their sights on establishing a major airfield to use in further operations on the northern coast of New Guinea. On September 5th, the 503rd Parachute Infantry Regiment was airdropped at Nadzab, about 20 miles northwest of Ley. Generals MacArthur and Kenny both wanted to observe the Nadzab operation, so a flight of three B-17s was arranged to carry the commanders. MacArthur went aloft in the Talisman, with Brigadier General Howard Ramey, head of 5th Bomber Command, at the plane's controls, while Kenny was carried in Captain and the Kids. MacArthur received the Air Medal for his participation in this mission. Ten days later, Australian ground troops captured Ley, and Nadzab Airstrip became a major supply base for MacArthur's troops in New Guinea. By late 1943, the 13th Air Force joined its comrades in the 5th in fighting on New Guinea, but were still not formally part of MacArthur's Southwest Pacific Theater. In June 1944, 13th Air Force was then reassigned to MacArthur's Southwest Pacific area, giving him two numbered air forces. As a result, 5th Air Force and 13th Air Force were united under Kenny's command as Far East Air Forces. The two highest-scoring American aces of World War II belonged to Kenny's Far East Air Forces, Major Richard Bong with 40 kills and Major Thomas McGuire with 38 kills. Neither survived the war. McGuire was shot down and killed over the Philippines in January 1945, and Bong was killed while testing a new F-80 jet fighter in California in August of 1945. 
both pilots received the Medal of Honor for their actions in the Pacific. The Far East Air Forces was also home to Charles Lindbergh for a time during the war. The famed aviator, a former colonel in the old Army Air Corps, served as a civilian advisor to several aircraft manufacturing companies during World War II. Sent to the Pacific in 1944 to observe various Army Air Force and Marine aircraft under combat conditions, he convinced General MacArthur to allow him to fly in combat, participating in some 50 missions and being credited with one kill. Serving with the 475th Fighter Squadron, Lindbergh often flew as a wingman for Major Thomas McGuire. Once control of the skies belonged to the Allies, they were able to turn their attention to Japanese shipping and supporting the ground forces. One of the main objectives of MacArthur's subsequent island hopping strategy was to capture enemy airfields, which could then be used as bases for his own air force. MacArthur stated, In war today, victory depends on the advancement of the bomber line. Putting this dictum into action, Kenny's Far East Air Forces moved from its base in New Guinea to the Philippines, where preparations were being made for the invasion of Japan. As this happened, they continued to strike targets in Borneo and elsewhere. By 1945, Japanese air power ceased to pose a significant threat to Kenny's planes, and instead the Japanese used their few remaining planes for kamikaze attacks on the United States Navy. In June 1945, the 7th Air Force in Hawaii joined Kenny's Far East Air Forces, placing all Army assets in the Pacific under Kenny, except for the B 29s of the 20th Air Force, which reported directly to General Hap Arnold in Washington. Much of the glory of the air war in Europe as well as in the Pacific has been given to the fighter pilots and the bomber crews. However, without the support of the ground crews responsible for the maintenance of the aircraft, the pilots would never have left the ground. Most of the supplies needed to keep those combat aircraft aloft were brought to the bases by transport aircraft, many of them converted civilian planes. Others were converted to fly wounded personnel from the front to medical bases in the rear. Still others, some of them modified combat aircraft, were armed with cameras for reconnaissance missions. General Dwight D. Eisenhower recognized the importance of the logistical element to the war effort when he summed it up this way Four things won the Second World War the bazooka, the jeep, the atom bomb, and the C 47. With the end of World War II, the air units became part of the occupation force. In 1947, the components of what had been MacArthur's Air Force in World War II became elements of the new independent United States Air Force. 13th Air Force was based at Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines from the end of World War II until 1991, when an eruption by nearby Mount Pinatubo buried Clark under tons of volcanic ash. The 13th's headquarters was then moved to Anderson Air Force Base in Guam, but in 2005 the Jungle Air Force was relocated to Hickam Air Force Base, Hawaii. 5th Air Force is based today at Yokota Air Force Base, Japan. Both 5th Air Force and 13th Air Force have never been deactivated since their formation, and neither has been stationed in the United States. Both 5th and 13th Air Force are components of Pacific Air Forces today, along with 7th and 11th Air Force. Air power had been one of the largest factors in the Allied victory in the Pacific, both on the battlefield and in ultimately avoiding an invasion of the Japanese home islands. Air Force Chief of Staff General Hoyt Vandenberg summed up one of the lessons taken from World War II. 
Air power alone does not guarantee America's security, but it best exploits the nation's greatest asset, our technical skill. MacArthur's Air Force exploited this skill in innovative ways during World War II. Thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.